Turn in God's Word to the book of Mark, found on page 1152 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 1, we'll read from verse 21 to verse 39, but our passage this evening is verse 29 to 39. But let's read from verse 21. Listen, this is God's word. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. This past week in the news there was a story of mistaken identity. A South Florida cook was mistaken by police for a fugitive with the same name, similar looks, and almost the same birthday. Leonardo Silva O'Leary, the 26-year-old fugitive, was wanted on probation, on a probation violation out of nearby Palm Beach County. Leonardo Silva O'Leary, the 26-year-old cook, was working in a Deerfield Beach restaurant. He had, never, he had never been in trouble with the law, but he spent five days in jail before the county sheriff's office, which runs the jail, ran fingerprints and finally realized that they had made a mistake. 
and he was released on Tuesday past. Getting someone's identity right is important. And that's why Mark is so focused on the identity of Jesus Christ, so that his readers understand who Jesus is. In the first half of the book, this is a major theme, Jesus' identity. We see in our passage today confusion over the identity of Christ. They see Jesus more like a miracle worker, and as a result, they relate to Jesus in the wrong way. And that is true today. If you get Jesus' identity wrong, you will relate to him in the wrong way. And so I want you to notice that Jesus' priority is to preach the kingdom of God so that you identify him as the king, and so you serve him as a result. So firstly, let's notice Jesus has authority over sickness, giving you a glimpse of his kingdom. Now, last week, we considered Jesus preaching in the synagogue and how the people were astonished because he preached as one with authority. That authority was demonstrated again when Jesus removed the demon from within one, within that congregation. After that, Jesus left the synagogue, and we read of him now traveling to Peter's house, which is also in Capernaum. It also appears his brother Andrew lived with him, and we read that James and John also came with them. And in the house, Peter's mother-in-law was ill with a fever. And Luke in his gospel says it was a high fever. And so Jesus was informed about her condition at once. And so this suggests that this woman is seriously ill. They were concerned for her. They're not seeking a doctor as there was nothing more that could be done for her. No, they told Jesus about her. We're not told why they informed Jesus, but clearly in Jesus they recognize that he's a godly man. Perhaps he would pray for her. His disciples would have seen the power of Jesus in removing that demon. And so recognizing his authority thought he could maybe help in some way. Well, they were right. Jesus came to her, took her by the hand, and lifted her up. And we read of how she was instantly healed. In Luke's gospel, we read that Christ rebuked the fever. Jesus rebuked the demon. He now rebukes the fever, this virus. He is the one with authority. He even rules over illnesses. And so powerful is Jesus that we read that she was healed instantly, and she began to serve them. Now, when you're ill, when you have a fever, even when you're over it, you're normally groggy for a few days or so afterwards. You need lots of rest to recover. But for Peter's mother-in-law, she's up and about. She's busy with her responsibilities of caring and being hospitable to those visitors in her home. And this helps us see how powerful Jesus is. But it also gives us an insight into Jesus' kingdom. The miracle that Jesus performs, it's not a magic, random magic trick. He was not entertaining the people with what he can do. No, Jesus is helping us see what his kingdom is like. In John's book of Revelation, we also get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, 
for the former things have passed away. All aspects of sin will be removed. All suffering will be gone. And so illnesses and infirmity, which is part of this fallen world, will be removed. Imagine a world free of disease, free of COVID, free of cancer, free of all the undiagnosed illnesses that bring us down. Illnesses and disease, they fill us with uncertainty. What will the future hold? How will I manage? How will I work? Who will take care of me? Who will take care of my family? In Christ's kingdom, that will be no more. Sinclair Ferguson says, Jesus restored God's order and purpose to her life. And in doing so, he gave his disciples a miniature reproduction of the exercise of his kingly rule. Well, this should make us long for Christ's kingdom. Too often we are consumed with this world and what this world has to offer. But this life is a pale comparison to Christ's kingdom. Now hold on to this picture of Christ's kingdom. When you are sick, remember Christ's authority over illness. That's why it's right to pray for healing. He clearly healed Peter's mother-in-law. He can heal you of your disease. And yet, Peter's mother-in-law finally did die of something. So it's not that Jesus will always heal. No, Jesus in healing, yes, was reaching out in compassion. But he was also giving you an understanding of his kingdom. No disease would taint his kingdom. He will remove all diseases, for he has the authority over illnesses. Well, secondly, let's notice Jesus came to release you from oppression. Verses 32 to 34. What's interesting here is how Mark notes that it's evening time. Mark makes the timing of this incident clear by saying, the sun has gone down. Now for us, a new day begins after midnight. Monday will begin on the stroke of midnight. But in Jewish timekeeping, the day begins when the sun has gone down. A day begins with the night and then finishes with daylight. So the sun has just set outside. And that would mean for Jews in Jesus' day that this is now the beginning of a new day. And that's important to realize because we see something happening as a result of this new day beginning and the end of the Sabbath before. Since the Sabbath is over, the people are now free to go about their business. They're not restricted by Jewish laws that require a strict Sabbath observance. Now, these Jewish laws that they were under, they're not ones that are found in the Bible. No, these are additional laws that the Jewish religious leaders had placed on the people to ensure that they would not break the Sabbath day. And so the result is the people are in a dilemma. They want to see Jesus. His reputation is spreading, as we read in verse 28, around the region of Galilee. They want Jesus to heal their relatives. And yet they're also anxious that they do not break the Sabbath day and so be condemned for working on the Sabbath day. And we read here of how the whole city turns up, meaning a huge crowd is here to see Jesus. They bring their sick, 
And Mark records that they were sick with a variety of diseases. Jesus heals each one of them. So it wasn't that Jesus was a specialist on fevers. No, he had authority over all diseases. Those with demon possession also turned up. And we considered that last time. Demons were present because they were against Jesus. They wanted to thwart his mission. But they had no power against Jesus, for Jesus is the one who has power over them. He removed these demons. No longer would they torment those who they had entered. And his authority over the demons is also evident in that he would not let the demons speak. He does not want them to share who he is. Jesus does not depend on the testimony of demons. For although they may know the identity of Jesus, they do not understand his mission, nor do they know how Jesus will defeat them. And so Jesus will not allow them to interfere with his mission on earth. And so we see the people are under oppression in three ways. They're under oppression from keeping all these religious rules. They're under oppression because of sickness. And they're under oppression because of demonic activity. Now Jesus would tackle the religious leaders later and the oppression that they put the people under. And here we see him removing diseases and removing demons. His authority over illness and demon possession is apparent. No demon can resist his command. No illness is too difficult for him to heal. And so in Jesus Christ, there is freedom from oppression. He releases you from whatever bondage that you find yourself in because he is more powerful. He has the authority. What ways are you facing oppression? Remember, as Paul says in Romans 8, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus is bearing, is bringing to bear a new kingdom, one that is free from oppression, one in which you can have rest. Consider what day it is for the Jews here. It was this Sunday. They're finding their freedom on a Sunday. They were receiving rest on the first day of the week. And this pointed forward to the eternal rest that they would enjoy as a result of Christ's completed mission when he would rise on this day, on the first day of the week. So you must remind yourself, especially on the Lord's day, the rest that you have as a result of Christ releasing you from oppression. Well, thirdly, notice Jesus' priority was for his kingdom. And that should be your priority too. We read that Jesus got up the next morning early to find solitude with God. This is more important to him than sleep. He needs renewal. He needs communion with his Father. Now, the other Gospels mention Jesus praying on numerous occasions. However, Mark mentions Jesus praying at important times in his mission on earth. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was on the cross, these were difficult times. And we read of him praying in the Garden just before he was arrested. And he prayed on the cross 
as he faced the wrath of God. Was this moment also a difficult time for Christ? He had the crowds of people coming to him. Remember, the whole city was at the door of the house. And so he's clearly popular. He could have had a huge ministry here in Capernaum. He could have set up a healing center, for his fame had spread of him able to heal all diseases. He could have known comfort and luxury as a result. With his great authority, he could take command of the city. Remember, they're excited for him and what he could do. And this could have been very tempting for Christ. How does he respond? He comes to God the Father to pray, to be reassured of his mission, to say, not my will, but your will be done. He doesn't want to lose sight of his task, of why he came to earth. And when his disciples come searching for him, Simon tells him, everyone is looking for you. Was Jesus going to choose the road of popularity or the road of service? Jesus is dedicated to his task. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So his mission was not to be popular, nor was his mission to bring good health to people, to provide happiness. No, this was not the way of God. This instead would be the way of man. After Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, later on in Mark, Jesus began to instruct them what it would mean for him to be the Messiah. How did Peter respond? Well, in Mark 8, we read, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he was tempted to give up his mission. One of Satan's temptations in the wilderness was to offer Jesus every kingdom of this earth. And it would not be via the cross. No, simply, he simply had to bow down to Satan. This was a real temptation, but Jesus would not give in. He would only worship God. He would only serve him. The writer of the Hebrews helps us see Jesus' priority. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus does not go back to the crowds of people at Capernaum. He has done what he came to do. He preached to them the kingdom of God has arrived in him. He has commanded them to repent and to believe. He's performed miracles among them. And these miracles were not ends in themselves. No, they were signposts pointing the people to him being the king. They were to authenticate his message. They were to help them see what, that he really has the authority that he says he has. And we considered this last week, that the city of Capernaum, how they enjoyed the signs that Jesus performed. But they never accepted him as the Christ, as the king. And so as a result, Jesus prophesied that they would be judged. Imagine if you went on a road trip to Nashville, and the first sign that says Nashville, you stop and you tell all those in your car, let's get out, we've arrived. 
That would be foolish. It's only a sign. But for Capernaum, they never got any further than the sign. They were not interested in what the sign meant, that Jesus had authority, that Jesus is king. They wanted the free health care. They wanted the entertainment. But they didn't want the king. Today, many churches are consumed with health and wealth preaching. It's a popular message. False teachers tell their people that God wants them to be healthy. God wants them to be wealthy. And they provide a huge show to get people excited so everyone is entertained. And ultimately, what they are doing is distracting people from God so that they then focus on themselves. Now, the goal of Jesus' miracles is not to make everyone healthy or to enable everyone to enjoy a good livelihood. Wilmhurst says, Jesus is not our passport to health, wealth, and an easy life. No, Jesus' goal was to preach his message of the kingdom, that he is the king. He wanted his listeners to submit their lives to him. And so Jesus was not solely focused on the city of Capernaum. He is king of this world, and so he would have to go to the next town and the next town to preach to them that the kingdom of God had arrived in him. He tells them to repent and to believe in the good news. And so he would continue his ministry, going from synagogue to synagogue, pointing the congregation that he is the king. And we read of opposition again. Demons were present to oppose him, but he simply cast them out. They would not distract him from his mission. When it comes to election time, our politicians, they travel throughout the country. They want to get their message out. They speak about how, or they will speak about what all they will achieve when they are in power, how they can make the country better. Well, Jesus is doing something similar. He is traveling throughout the region. He's telling people that the kingdom of God has arrived, convincing them of his power, giving them glimpses that the kingdom is better than anything here on earth. And Jesus teaches us to do the same. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. And so you likewise are to seek Christ's kingdom. And the way you do it is the same as how Jesus did it. You are to preach about this coming kingdom. You are to tell your friends about who the king is that you have dedicated your life to. You are to support the preaching of God's word here in Bloomington and across the world. You are to support the preaching of God's word. It is in the preaching that we bring people before the king so that they hear what he has to say in his word. That is more important than anything this world has to offer. Well, fourthly, let's notice Jesus raises you up for you to serve him. The city of Capernaum, They were a privileged people. They had Jesus Christ living among them. They recognized that he had authority. It was evident in Jesus' preaching that he had authority compared to the scribes. They brought to Jesus those who were diseased and demon-possessed. Again, they recognized his authority over illness, over demon possession. While they recognized Jesus' authority, they rejected his claim of authority over their lives. They would not submit to him. And so they were not much different than these demons in Capernaum. 
They knew exactly who Jesus was, but they would not submit to him. They rejected his message that he is a king, and they must serve him. Willem Hurst says, the brutal truth is that unless you know Jesus Christ, unless you embrace him and follow him, you're no better off than these demons. Now, while there is much confusion over the identity of Jesus Christ today, there are many who do know who Jesus is. They have had the privilege of going to a gospel preached, or a church that preaches a gospel. They've had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. They've had the gospel explained to them, and yet they have rejected it. And it's not for any intellectual reason. It's simply that they will not have Jesus as their king. They will not submit to him. Instead, they want to be the king of their lives. So they will bear they will not bear any costs involved in serving Christ. I remember doing Bible studies back in Belfast with folk, and the participants, they accepted that Christianity was true. They had nothing to say against it. And yet it was obvious that they had not personally accepted it. Yes, they believed Jesus to be God. Yes, they understood that Jesus came to die on the cross to save them from their sins. But they would not accept him as king. In their eyes, it costs too much, too much of their personal ambition, too much in their personal relationships. But what they did not understand is just how serious their lost condition is. In this passage, we read of the sick and the demon-possessed, and they had to be brought to Jesus. They were dependent on others. They cannot even bring themselves to Christ. They are lost in their sin. They are lost to Satan how desperately they wanted to be out of their terrible condition. And yet they could do nothing. And that is a picture of what you're really like. That is how helpless we are. You can do nothing to save yourself. Your lost condition is worse than any disease or any demonic possession. When you recognize that you're lost in your sins, you must not stop and consider what the cost might be. No, you are to cry out to Jesus for help. Peter's mother-in-law gives us a picture of the work of Christ. We read that he touched her and lifted her up. It's been described as a resurrection touch. She was once in effect dead. Now she has been raised to newness of life. And this is what Jesus does in the lives of all who submit to him. He raises them up. And he ultimately does this through his resurrection. Romans 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul also says in 2 Timothy 2, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Peter's mother-in-law responds to Christ's resurrection touch by serving him. And each one of you as believers has been touched in a similar way. You've been united to Christ in his resurrection. And you too, in your newness of life, you are to serve him. 
Well, what does that look like in your life? What does it mean for you to serve Christ? Sometimes we think it means something huge, like traveling off to a far-off place to preach the gospel. Now, it can mean that. But more than often, it's much simpler. For Peter's mother-in-law, it was generous hospitality, serving Jesus and all who were in her home. Consider where God has placed you, the family that he has given you, the employment that you're in, the church that you are part of here. That is where you are to serve. Respond to the announcements that ask for help. Too often it's easy to think, someone else will do that. No, you should seriously ask yourself, can I do that? Can I go to Wheeler Mission tomorrow for an hour or two to sort through clothes? Can I help welcome an Afghan family into our community? Can I help out in the nursery? Or on the fourth Sunday of the month, help out at lunch there? Yesterday was the annual meeting, a time to look back on the previous year and consider the different ministries of our church. This church is a church that loves to serve. And you're serving in many different ways, and in many ways that are not recognized. But the goal is the same, is to see this community as one where Christ's kingdom is proclaimed in both word and deed. When you serve, you're demonstrating that you recognize that Jesus is your king. And so his priority is your priority. And so I encourage you to keep serving, get involved in the ministries in this church, and continue to encourage the proclamation of Christ's kingdom. Christ's priority was to preach the kingdom of God so you identify him as your king, and so you serve him as a result. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we recognize that you are the king. You are the one who has authority whether over disease or the forces of evil. And so, Lord, help us to submit to you and use us, Lord, to proclaim your kingdom, whether it's in our family or in our work or in our neighborhood. And so give us, Lord, servant hearts that instead of serving ourselves, that we would be quick to serve others and in doing so serve you in your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our service singing Psalm 103a. Psalm 103a, this psalm speaks of God being the great healer. In stanza three, he from sickness makes you well and heals you from disease. And so Christ has authority over all illness. But notice also stanza five. Therefore, like an eagle, you with youth renewed arise. And Christ lifts us up because he rose again. And so we can be confident that he will lift us up too. So let's stand and sing Psalm 103a.